following recording is from Parramatta Christian Church. We pray that this message inspires you in your walk with Christ. For those who haven't met me, um, it's a privilege to share from God's Word this morning. Uh, if you're new or you haven't been with us um, for the last couple of weeks, we're, we're still in a series um, entitled The Promises Jesus Made, looking at different promises that Jesus made himself um, that ought to give us as the church courage and hope as we continue to stand firm in our walk with him. Um, this morning, as we start, I want us to, to think of a time where we were thirsty, Think of a time where where you were thirsty. I know for me, um, I remember uh, back in the day when I used to mow the lawn at home, um, I retired at the ripe old age of 23, um, once my younger brother could do it himself. But um, I remember when I mowed the lawn, there was this this thing that I had, this little game I played with myself. And the game was that I'm not going to take a drink of water until I finish the entire thing. Now, if you've been to our house, you know that our backyard is quite a, a large open space, um, and there's a front yard too, so sometimes it'll take an hour, hour and a half, it might be hot, but I don't know why, maybe it's, it's man pride, maybe it's, you know, just something to keep me going, but I just was like, you know, even though I'm dying of thirst, I do not take a drink until I'm done, and I'll go inside and then I'll skull half the, the jug of water, um, and it was so, so refreshing, but inevitably... A couple of hours later, the next day, the next week, I'd need another drink of water. Whether it be mowing the lawn or something else, I constantly, and we all experience that physical need to drink water. Well, this morning we're looking at Jesus' promise of living water. And we're looking at what Jesus says when when he promises that he gives us living water. And we're going to be reading from John chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to to turn to it on your phones or your physical copies. Um, It will be on the screen, but um, it's helpful to have it right in your hand um, as we read. Um, So we're going to be reading the first 30 verses. So it's quite a a long passage, um, but I I trust it will be helpful. So John chapter 4, verse 1, this is what the Word of the Lord says. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did, his son, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, 
Call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come where the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is, God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I the I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then his disciples returned and they were surprised to find him talking with a woman, but no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Church, this morning what we're going to do is we're going to um, look at four things. I know usually we do three, a um, bit, bit edgy. I tried doing, I was actually going to do five, but then we'd be here till next week. Um, so I cut down to four. We're going to look at four things, four aspects of this promise of living water that we see in our passage. And to do that, we're going to actually answer four questions. And these are the four questions. First, we're going to ask the question, what is it? Or, or, or what, what is this living water that Jesus is talking about? Secondly, we're going to ask, who is it for? Who can come and drink of this living water? Thirdly, we're going to ask, how do we receive this water? How can we we come and drink, as it were, um, and, and and receive this living water? And then finally, we're going to look at the impact it has. What does it do once we come and drink? So what it is, who it's for, how we receive it, and what it does. Let me pray, and then we'll dive straight in. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is alive, it speaks. We thank you that it's relevant, Father, and we thank you for this encounter that you had, Lord Jesus, with the woman at the well. And Lord, I pray that as, as I speak, Lord God, that you would help me to be faithful to your word. And I pray that by your spirit that you would um, soften our hearts to hear what your word is saying and let it encourage us and challenge us in ways that you want it to. Because Lord God, this is your word and we give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so firstly, we're looking at what is it? What, what is this living water that Jesus promises? Let's reread again verse 13 and 14 in particular. This is what Jesus says. He says, Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. What we see here is Jesus is giving, I guess, giving us, I guess, the, the, the main characteristics of, characteristic of this living water. He's saying that it's something that will satisfy the very thirst of our souls. You know, a few months ago, um, we were going through the New Year's Attitude series, and I was up here preaching on uh, contentment, and as I was preparing um, for this, this sermon this morning, I felt like I was cheating a little bit, because there's often a lot of overlap between contentment um, and drinking of this living water, because often when we drink this living water, we find the contentment that we need. 
Because in both instances, what we're talking about is we're talking about finding this, this heart and soul satisfaction in who God is and what He gives to us or what He promises us. And so this morning, we're talking about drinking this living water, this thing that ultimately puts to bed this pursuit of satisfaction, hope, identity, that we often find ourselves chasing in other things. How many of us have felt that, that need, that, that chase for something that just will not satisfy? Maybe we're, we're wanting the perfect body shape. Or maybe we're, we're seeking the approval of our peers or um, our parents or um, our children even, our friends, our co-workers, whatever it is. And we think that if we get that, then we'll be satisfied, we'll be okay. Maybe we're chasing career or, or money or some kind of material possessions with the, the subtle hope that once we get that next thing, we'll then be okay. We'll, we'll feel satisfied with where we're at. There's so many things I could include on this list. In fact, many Bible commentators on this passage suggest that perhaps one of the things Jesus is doing is highlighting to this woman how perhaps she sought satisfaction in men. The fact that she's been married five times and has thrown them all out to now be living with this man who is not even her husband. Just like this woman, I'm sure we can all attest perhaps to that experience of feeling spiritually thirsty. Feeling as if there's, 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 we just want that next thing, that something is just not quite satisfactory in our hearts. And Jesus is saying that these living waters that he promises is something that will make us never thirst again. Now, when he's saying this, it's important to clarify, I don't think he's talking about a one-time experience that satisfies for all of life. So often we can think that what Jesus might be talking is about is, you know, when we're in worship and we, we, we feel God's presence and we're so encouraged and we have that encounter with Jesus and then after that, that's it. We, we don't need anything else. That there's no, um, that that one experience is going to somehow satisfy us for life. I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about. I don't think he's talking about a one-time experience. I think he's talking about something that is continually satisfying again and again. He's talking about something that might to an outsider seem like something that's old or, or um, you know, the same and nothing new. But in the hearts of his people, satisfies again and again in new and refreshing ways. Let me, let me illustrate it this way. And, and I'm going to use um, another biblical, um, I guess, analogy here. Sometimes what we see in Scripture, we see is that God's word is often described as living and active. Right? Now, for those of us who've been a Christian for a long time, Perhaps you can resonate with me with that experience of where you've maybe read cover to cover multiple times, or maybe you've read a particular book in the Bible multiple times. Maybe it's a couple of chapters or even a couple of verses. You've read it multiple times, and yet somehow, in some way, when you read it for the 10th or 12th time, it just, it's something else sticks out to you. It's almost as if you've, hang on, have I never read this? Have I never seen this before? But what's actually happening is that God, by His Spirit, is bringing to life in your heart something new from His Word. It, the words are the same, the phrases are the same, the, the, the version of the Bible that you're using is most likely the same. But what's happening is that God, by His Spirit, is showing you something different that maybe you didn't see before and bringing it to life in your heart and you're encouraged, you're challenged, you're edified as you do so. Why? Because God's Word isn't stale. It's not stagnant. It's not something that's written in history for one period of time. It's something that's described as living and active. That same word that's translated living is the same word that's used here. And so I think what we want to see is that Jesus is talking about this satisfaction of the soul, 
This satisfaction of our soul's thirst that is continually, that needs continually met again and again, but not necessarily in something new or different, but rather in who God is, and we'll get to that in a moment. Jesus is talking about a deep, soul-abiding water that means we'll never be spiritually thirsty again. Church, that's an amazing truth for us this morning. That's an amazing truth for us this morning. If, if you're tired of being let down by things, if you're tired of, of, of pursuing your, your, your hope and your satisfaction and your identity in different things, the good news this morning is that Jesus is offering you, offering you something that will continually satisfy, something that will satisfy the thirst of your soul. That's our first aspect this morning. Jesus is promising us waters that will satisfy the thirst of our soul, which leads us then to the next question of, well, who's it for? Who, who can drink of these waters, as it were? Point number two. To answer this question, I think it's important for us to see, take a step back and look at the passage as a whole and see what, I guess, four things that are, are really strange, particularly given the context that Jesus was in about this passage. Firstly, we see that Jesus' encounter is with a woman. Now, we need to understand the context at that time because at that time, it was socially unacceptable for a man and woman to, um, to, to have interactions in public like that, particularly on a social level. Men talk to other men. Women talk to other women. And, and obviously in the household, husbands talk to their wives. Yes, but in public, men and women just didn't interact this way. And if we need proof of that, we see in verse 27 where the disciples come back and it says that they were surprised to find him talking to a woman. Cultural customs and norms at that time dictated that Jesus shouldn't do that, but yet he does. And at that time, that, that was a, a shocking thing. But if that's not enough, Jesus was not only talking to a woman, but he's talking to a Samaritan woman. Again, we've got to understand the, the context here because Jews, as we see in our passage, Jews and Samaritans, they just, they didn't mix. And that goes back w- way into Israel's history where um, people in Samaria were, were left when, when, when a foreign nation came and invaded and took away a lot of the, the Israelites. People were left in Samaria and they intermingled and married with these foreigners. And so when the Jews came back, there was this animosity because the Samaritans had become almost like a mixed race. And from that time, there was a divide. They just didn't mix so much so that in this um, travel that Jesus is making from, um, from Judea up to Galilee, often sometimes people, people will take the longer route to go around Samaria and not go through it because of that divide. They just, Jews and Samaritans, they just, they just did not mix. And in today's society, we, we too have our fair share of social divides. Perhaps some not as uh, big or as, as violent or as um, aggressive as others, but we have our own. In technology, we have the, the Apple versus Androids, right? And we all know that Apple is better, but still we... A little bit dangerous, yeah. Great, great to see that we have a lot of Apple people in the house. It's, it's great. I want to move on. In, in politics, we have liberal labor, right? In, in sports, we have soccer or football, even in cars, we have people saying that manual is better than automatic or vice versa. I mean, come on, that's a first world problem if we're talking about that. And even in our society or our world at large, we see perhaps even deeper, more serious divides. Like in places like Sri Lanka or in Africa or in parts of the Middle East of the past hundred or so years where racial tensions have led to wars or fighting or um, some kind of animosity expressed in different ways. 
And whilst in this situation we, we, we don't necessarily see a murderous war between Jews and Samaritans, the, the divide was strong. They just did not mix. And so for Jesus to be talking to a Samaritan woman, that was unheard of. And if that wasn't enough, then thirdly, we see that this Samaritan woman was also someone who was living a morally bankrupt life. We're told in verses 17 and 18 that this woman had not only had five previous husbands, but she was now living with someone who was not her husband. Now, that time in that cultural context, again, there was usually only one reason for an adult female to, to be unmarried, and that's usually if they were a widow. And so often someone like her, who's been married five times, divorced or, or, or you know, separated from her husband, and now is living with, someone, with a man who's not her husband, that was socially unacceptable. That was socially um, frowned upon. So much so that many Bible commentators reckon that this lady was a social outcast by the fact that she came to drink from the well at 12 o'clock in the middle of the day at noon. And that time, again, noon is the, the hottest part of the day. Women often came together in groups early in the day to, um, to collect the water, but some commentators say that perhaps the reason this, this woman is coming in the middle of the day is to avoid the groups that would go in the morning because she was a social outcast. She didn't want to face the, the scorn and the shame that might have come her way if she went with other people. This woman was a, someone who was living a, a morally unacceptable lifestyle, and Jesus yet is speaking to her. And then fourth and finally, if that still was not enough, Jesus then asked this person, this woman, for a drink. Now again, I've been reading through Leviticus um, the last couple of months, and one thing that stood out to me was how seriously Israel took their purity laws. There's so many pages there filled of um, talks about you know people who have who are unclean or have defiled themselves and what they need to do to to um, to be cleansed or to um, purify themselves, as it were. There's discussions on even objects and how if they've come into contact with certain things, they are now defiled and unacceptable. And so for Jesus to go and ask this woman, this sinful woman, to use her cup for a drink, that was incredulous. That was, it was so preposterous for that to happen. But church, what I want us to see is that, what does that show us? It shows us that this invitation to drink is open to all. Jesus doesn't come to the upright Pharisee, the guy who's got it all together and say, yep, you you can come and drink of this living water. He goes to the unexpected. He goes to the the person that no one would expect. And that's not just in this story. We see again and again in the Gospels, Jesus goes to the tax collector, to the leper or the sick, to the adulterer, even to a Samaritan. And the significance of that for us today is that it means that we too are not barred. So often we can think that we have to somehow get some sort of standing to come before God or, or, or come to him or we have to clean up our lives before we, we come to him. But, but Jesus is saying no. Jesus is, is breaking down, he's, he's barging through the barriers in pursuit of the hearts and the souls of those who need him the most. That's our second point this morning, church, that the invitation is open. If you're sitting here this morning, maybe you're discouraged, maybe you don't know Jesus, or maybe you've known Jesus, but you've sort of gone cold. The invitation is, that the, is, is open for you. The invitation is open for all of us. Jesus regularly pursues ordinary people like you and I, often in the very depths of our brokenness, and invites us to come and drink. That's our second point this morning. Which leads us then to the, the question of, well, then how can we get it? If it's open for us, all right, what, what do we do? How, how do we, 
what do we do next? How do we receive this living water? Which is our third question this morning. Look again at what Jesus says in verse 10. It says, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Our passage says that there were two things that ought to have indicated to this woman that she should have asked for this living water. The first was this, this gift of God, and the second was the identity of, that, of the person who was asking her for a drink. Jesus is saying, what, he, what he's saying is that if, if she had known who it was that was asking, him, asking her for a drink, he would have given her living water. Jesus is saying that the living water comes from him. He's the one that can give it. He, the Messiah, as we see later in our passage, is the one that can give the living water. Now, the answer to our question, it it seems simple enough, but I want us to go deeper a little bit and understand something a little bit deeper, particularly in the context of where we're at, uh, in the context of where this passage is at. Because this metaphor has its roots way back in the Old Testament. There are parts in the Old Testament that that use similar language. So I want you to turn again in your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 2. Way back in the Old Testament, the middle of the Old Testament. And for context, as you do that, Jeremiah 2, what we see, and I wish we had time to read it fully, but we see in this chapter that, that God is bringing a charge against Israel. He's bringing a charge against Israel because they have forsaken him. And you can almost hear the broken heart of God as you read that chapter. He talks about how Israel has chosen to reject him and pushed him away. They no longer remember the deliverance that God had given them in, out of slavery in Egypt how he led them through the wilderness and led them into a land that was fertile and fruitful. And this is what he says in verse 13. He says, My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me the spring of living water and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns cisterns that cannot hold water. See, there's two things we need to see here. Firstly, God is making abundantly clear that he's the source. He is the the fountain of that living water. He's the spring of that living water. He's the one from whom that water comes. But what I want to see more importantly is that Jesus, God's not talking as if this living water comes like a genie gives wishes. He's not talking about Israel, Israel shouldn't have just come to him, asked for the living water and then gone and done their thing. He's talking about being in relationship with him. God is is saying that that, that Israel has forsaken their relationship that they had with God. They they, they rejected him. And so therefore they had been cut off from these waters. They weren't receiving these waters. See, had they remained faithful to him and in relationship with him, they would have received this fresh flowing water to satisfy the thirst of their souls. But instead they they forsook that relationship. They rejected him. They, They pushed him away and chose to chase after their own thing. They chose to chase after stale, stagnant water, as it were. And so the answer to this question this morning is that, yes, the, 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 we get the living water from Jesus, but more importantly, we get it by being in relationship with Jesus. And that's why when it's, impo- it's interesting to note when Jesus says, if you knew the gift of God, right? That phrase in the New Testament, so often we see that phrase being um, used to refer to salvation, being referred to what God had done to, to restore his people into relationship. And what Jesus is saying is that if, if, if we just knew what, what that was, if we knew how he was to come and die for our sins, and on the cross he, he took our sins, he took our punishment, our shame that was due unto us, and he died in our place to enable us to then come back into relationship with him. If we just knew that, we'd be halfway there. So the answer to our question, church, is that 
how do we receive this living water? It's by coming into relationship with him. It's by being united with Christ. And the reason we can do that is because of what Jesus has done. See, on the cross, Jesus experienced cosmic thirst, as it were. He was cut off in our place so that we could be welcomed in and restored into relationship. And it's when we are in that relationship, when we recognize and live in that space where we know that we belong to him, and we have him living in us by his spirit, that he then imparts his love, his grace, his mercy. We, we are filled again and again with a sense of beauty and, and awe at who God is, and that is what satisfies our souls. That's what satiates the, 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 um, the thirst that our souls have that we often chase in other things. It's by being united in relationship with him that we can receive these living waters. Jesus is the source. And when we come into relationship with him, we can come and drink of this fountain of living water and be satisfied. Which then brings us to our final point this morning. What does it do? What impact does this living water have? How are our lives going to be different when we are drinking deeply from this fountain? And I want to suggest to us this morning that there's probably two things that we see in our passage in John 4 that reveal to us the impact that it has. Firstly, it impacts our personal lives. Look at verse 28 and 29. It says, Then leaving her water jar... The woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Notice how this, com- this conversation drastically changed this woman's heart. After this conversation, she, she gets up and she, she does the unthinkable. She leaves her water, her water jug at the jar. Talk about having one job. Imagine coming back to your family. She had to go get water. That's the only thing she had to do. And she comes back and she's empty-handed. She doesn't have water. Imagine being in the house, looking at her, coming back and going, what did you do? You had one job and you failed. But such was the change in her heart that she, she dropped everything and did something about what had happened. But not only that, perhaps you notice that this woman who was once reclusive, who was once wanting to avoid being around people, being around the, the men and women in her town, now gladly skipping into the middle of the town, declaring to anyone who would hear that perhaps she has encountered the Messiah. Such was the change in her heart. She had been given a taste of that living water and she just could not contain. She wanted to go tell everyone that would listen. That's the impact it can have. It can change our personal lives. But not only that, church, I want to suggest to us this morning that it can impact the lives of those around. Maybe if Andy and the team want to jump up, that'd be great. The second impact we ought to notice is that the lives of the people around this woman were also changed. The people of the town, all of a sudden, seeing this one-time reclusive woman now standing in front of them, proclaiming boldly that perhaps she had just seen this promised Messiah. So much so that we're told later in in, in chapter 4, verse 39, which we didn't get to read, but we're told that many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. Verse 42 They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. But now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. It was, was, there was something attractive, church, about the change that had happened in this woman's life. There was something contagious where where people around her saw that something was different and that that spurred them on to at least inquire a little bit more. 
Of course, church, we're not talking about doing this for the sake of um, other people's attention. But what I want us to see this morning is that when we are continually drinking of this fountain of living water and experiencing that soul satisfaction that that brings, the world around us sees that something is different. When the church lives lives fully satisfied and enjoying God deeply, people start asking questions. They start getting curious. To give an example of that, I'm sure you have some in your own lives, but in 2019, many of you know, I went on a mission trip to Thailand. And I was up in a city, um, the northern part of Thailand called Kong Ken. And we were, built, we were doing ministry, uh, sorry, ministry in, in universities there, building a relationship with the students um, and working with an organisation on the ground there. And one of the philosophies or the, the ways in which this organisation did ministry was they had one first and foremost goal, and that was to just build friendships with these uni students. And so they would go play sport together. They would go out to eat. They would um, spend time, hang out, do life with these students and just build friendships. But what my team and I were so amazed was how inevitably when that happened, so many people in that who came to faith through that ministry testified to the fact that when they were doing that, when they were walking side by side with these Christians, they, they looked at them and they said, something's different about you. I don't know, how is it that you can be cut off from your family, which often happens in a culture like that? How can you be cut off from your family for this faith and yet you're still happy, you're still content? How can you be um, you know, joyful in all these situations? Maybe you've experienced that even here closer to home, maybe at work or in other places where people have come to you and said, how can, when the world is falling apart, how can you be so calm? When you're going through such personal tra- uh, trials and trauma, how can you be so at peace? How can you be still so loving and kind? How is it that you can work faithfully even when everyone else around you is cutting corners? So when we live lives that are so satisfied in God, so um, caught up in awe and wonder, and our, our soul's thirst of being continually and again and again satisfied in God, when we're living lives like that, people around us start asking questions. It draws people in. Whether that means that they start asking questions, whether it means it goes all the way to leading them to faith, like some of these people in this town, that's the impact that it can have. It changes our lives personally. When we live those changed lives, it can be a catalyst even for change in other people's lives. And so as we come to a close church this morning, why don't we stand to our feet? I want to encourage us to, to, to ask ourselves this question. When was the last time you experienced this satisfaction? We talk a lot when we come to church about, you know, enjoying God, enjoying His presence. When was the last time you had that satisfaction of soul? Is it possible that you've tasted it, but somehow you've, for whatever reason, you've chosen to to walk away or, or to chase it after the things? Is maybe your heart gone cold, gone dry? Church this morning, the invitation is there. Come and drink. Come to the altar. His arms are, are open wide. Come and drink of this fountain. Come and drink of this water that will make you never thirst again. Just I want to encourage you to really examine your heart. It's so easy for us to just nod our head, close our eyes and then walk away and not really consider what is our heart chasing. Are we living lives that are satisfied in God because we're continually drinking of this living water? I'm going to give us a a minute or so just to reflect. 
maybe the team can, can sing a song or so and then we'll close it up. Thank you for listening to the Parramatta Christian Church podcast. To hear other sermons or to find out more about our church, please visit our website at pcc.org.au.